0: I remember reading an article on the 10th anniversary of the September 11th attacks in which people were interviewed who had worked at Boston's Logan International Airport on September 11th, 2001. Almost all of them reported that they still suffered side effects from that day, ranging from guilt at letting the terrorists get past them at the ticket counter, to unresolved rage over the loss of friends and colleagues. I was particularly struck back then by the story of a pilot, Brian Dubier, who had lost a close friend, John Agonofsky, the pilot who was flying the first plane that hit the towers. Mr. Dubier arrived in Manhattan two nights after the attacks to help out. At one point, he slipped into St. Patrick's Cathedral on Fifth Avenue to pray. As he knelt in the pew and recited the Lord's Prayer, he found he could not say, as we forgive those who trespass against us. It took him 50 tries over and over before he could get through those words without stumbling. And five years ago, on June 17th, 2015, a young man killed nine people as they prayed together during Bible study at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. All nine victims were black and the shooting was racially motivated. Less than 48 hours later, grieving family members faced the killer in court at his bond hearing. Nadine Collier, who lost her mother, Ethel Lance, spoke first. I forgive you. You took something really precious from me. I will never talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul, she said while fighting back tears. A few other loved ones stepped up and followed suit. I remember hearing about their responses and being not only shocked, but almost offended. How dare they? The killings made me angry. It was yet another slaughter of black people, but also scared because it took place in a church. And I wanted this act of hatred punished, condemned, and held up as further evidence of racism's insidious grip on our nation. But they forgave him. When my shock subsided, finally, I cried, overwhelmed by the awesomeness of their act. It was an undiluted glimpse into the grace of God. And such mercy was hard to accept. Today's gospel reading is all about forgiveness. And Jesus puts it very clearly. You are to forgive 77 times, meaning always and without exception. And yet how hard we find it to do, as Jesus tells us, and extend that forgiveness to those who have harmed us much less to terrorists and racist murderers. But the idea of unconditional forgiveness demands to be considered. After all, Christ himself did it from the cross. Today's parable of the unforgiving servant is the story of a slave deeply in debt. He owes his king 10,000 talents. When Jesus names this amount to his audience, they know he's exaggerating because one talent was worth more than 15 years of wages for a laborer. So this slave would have had to work for 150,000 years to pay off his debt. Jesus exaggerates the amount to make the point that it can never be repaid. Because it's an impossible sum, the king decides to sell his slave, his family, and all his possessions until the man falls to his knees and begs for mercy. Moved with pity, the Lord cancels the entire debt and sends the slave on his way. Now the extravagance with which the king forgives his slaves incalculable debt shows us how much God is willing to forgive us if only we ask. Or rather, we have already been forgiven because God's unconditional love is an open embrace that's always there, waiting for us to step into it from the day we are born. Now I'm guessing there have been days when each of you have had to rely on the hope that God loves you and forgives you no matter what. Because most of us have done something we're ashamed of. And some of us have lived through periods when we felt either unlovable or unforgivable. You know, I frequently stand up here and admit my faults to you in sermons, not because I'm a masochist, but to show how very human we all are, how we all could use a little more honesty, admit our shortcomings, and ask forgiveness. But here's the tricky part. If our God is a God of unconditional love, that means no boundaries exist to circumscribe that love, to wall it in. And doesn't our faith tell us that no one on earth is beyond God's love? Yes, that is what our faith tells us. Origin The third century Christian scholar and theologian even states that the devil himself will one day, at long last, be brought into God's divine presence. This is, in fact, what's so amazing about God. You cannot forever stand outside of divine love. But this is also what's so difficult about our God. Because if we follow a God of unconditional love, then we have to allow for all people to stand within that circle of love alongside us. You can't just say, God loves us no matter what. But not them no matter what. Because that's conditional. And so the unconditional love that comforts us also challenges us to love unconditionally. I think that might be why I took offense at those family members who forgave their loved one's murderer. If they could do it, then it was humanly possible, and we are no longer off the hook. And that's actually the main point of today's parable. When the forgiven slave refuses to pardon his fellow slave for a much smaller debt, the king becomes irate and throws that unforgiving slave into prison until his debt is paid. With this parable, Jesus warns us not to make a mockery of God's forgiveness for us by withholding it from others. We must do something with the forgiveness we've been freely given, or we risk compromising it now that almost sounds like a condition since the story seems to tell us that god's love is only unconditional if we share it unconditionally with others but you know i still hold out hope for that slave now rotting in prison that he will repent again and ask for mercy and that God will offer it up to 77 times, which is to say always and without exception, and that that slave will truly repent and be transformed. As I stand here preaching about forgiveness for terrorists, murderers, and even, God help me, politicians, I can't help but acknowledge how hard it is to pardon someone for anything, I mean, I still hold a grudge against a woman who talked me into moving to Prague to teach English over 30 years ago, who when I got there did nothing to help me find a job or a place to stay. I only lasted three weeks there, but I still sometimes fantasize that I will run into her and tell her off. And it took me years after my father's death to finally forgive him for his alcoholism, for the mess it made of our family. Some of you have a similar grudge you may be carrying, an unresolved anger or hurt that stems from a wrong someone inflicted upon you. It's hard. It's hard to let go and forgive. And I won't presume to tell anyone, especially those who have suffered at the hands of others, that it is their duty to forgive. Ultimately, the choice to pardon someone in your life rests with you. Forgiveness is a transaction of grace between you, that other person, and God. I came across some words on forgiveness from Charlotte Dudley Cleghorn, an Episcopal priest. She wrote, Forgiveness means to release, to let go of the other. Forgiveness is not denying our hurt. When we minimize what has happened to us, gloss over it, tell ourselves that it was not really that bad, we cannot really forgive. Forgiveness is a possibility only when we acknowledge the negative impact of another person's actions or attitudes in our lives. Forgiveness is not an excuse for unjust behavior, and to forgive is not necessarily to forget. So true forgiveness is not cheap, nor is it easy. But I believe it's a necessary middle step on the path from admitting our own pain to finding our own healing. Studies have shown that walking around in a state of unforgiveness actually affects our emotional and physical health. It can feel like a rock in our gut. It can keep us trapped in a cell of resentment. I'm reminded of a story of one former prisoner of war who asked another, have you forgiven your captors yet? I will never do that, the second one answers. Then they still have you in prison, don't they? The first one replies. Maybe those family members in Charleston forgave in part because they knew from experience that it was the only way they could move past their pain and live again. Again, I would never presume to tell anyone that they must forgive another. I can't begin to fathom how it would feel to lose a loved one to violence. But as a Christian who tries to live out his faith, I can speak of today's reading and its message of unconditional love of the comfort and the challenge it offers to each of us. And I will say from experience how much lighter I have felt when I did that hard thing and forgave someone from my heart. When Brian Dubier, that airline pilot, knelt in St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City a few days after September 11th and recited the Lord's Prayer, he found it almost impossible to forgive those who had trespassed against his friends and his country. But he stayed on his knees for as long as it took to really say those words sincerely at least one time. True forgiveness requires lots of kneeling, for it is a sacred act. It brings forth the divine in us, it reaches out to mend relationships with others. And it reestablishes the community of God's people here on earth. It cannot be done lightly. But when we manage to do it at all, we bring holiness into the world. Let us begin today. Amen. Amen.